Welcome to another episode of The Unexpected Detour, where life detours are inevitable. I'm your host, Frances Hammond, and here we talk about the many detours of life. Good afternoon. Today I have with me Bill Potts is a motivational speaker, creative business leader, energetic community builder, and a dedicated father and husband. A five-time cancer survivor, he pursues life and all that accompanies with it with the utmost passion and drive. While his kids call him sometimes slightly embarrassing, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) They also admit He's the toughest man we have ever met. He loves his job. He wakes up each morning expecting an A-plus day because every day is an A-plus day, no matter the circumstances. He has held executive positions at Ironman Group and Clearwater Marine Aquarium and lectured on marketing at Tulane University where he earned his MBA. He is the co-author and managing director of marketing agency Remedy 365 and an Ironman triathlete. He is proud advisory board member of the Halo House Foundation, which provides affordable housing for cancer patients and a longtime volunteer at his local homeless shelter. Bill and his wife, Kim, who are parents of three adult children, and a sweet dog, Pippa, live in St. Um, Petersburg, Florida. Good afternoon, Bill. It Good is afternoon. It's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, Francis, always a pleasure to see you. Yes. If people don't know we did it before, but now we got it right. Mm-hmm. So you want? Did I tell enough about you, or would you like to tell us about your journey with cancer, what type of cancer you have? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the kind introduction, number one, and thank you for having me on your show, number two. But my cancer journey started kind of unexpectedly 20 years ago when I went to my primary care physician. He looked at me, said, you got a lump on your thyroid, turned out to be thyroid cancer. So I had that thyroid completely removed surgically. And then I went through radiation ablation treatment uh, with iodine-131, which is the same radiation that was released by Chernobyl, interestingly. I thought my cancer journey was done. And I came back from a business trip to Europe in 2008, looked in the mirror to shave, noticed a lump below my ear that turned out to be stage three lymphoma. And so I went to shifted my treatment then to MD Anderson in Houston. And uh, my cancer got put in remission in 2008. And the lymphoma came back again in 2014, and then it came back again in 2019. And then in July of 2020, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And then in September of 2020, my lymphoma came back again. So that's six times with cancer, uh, five times beating it. I'm fortunate that the latest lymphoma uh, is currently in remission for uh, 15 months and who's counting. 
So uh, my journey has been uh, anything from what I expected, but I am fortunate to have great medical care, great support group, and uh, grateful to be on this call. How did you make your treatments more comfortable? Because I yeah, know learned. through treatments as I did, but how would did you make yourself more comfortable with it? Yeah, you know, I went through. I learned. Obviously, I've been doing this for a lot of a lot, long time, so I have a lot of experience, and so I've learned some of the tips that I've learned when going in for an infusion. Uh, simple things like uh, not eating too much uh, the day before, uh, not eating a big breakfast if you're going in, uh, you know, before lunch. I also learned to wear uh, comfortable clothes, you know, uh, no belts. You know, I always had some slip on and off shoes so I could take my shoes off. I always took in noise canceling headphones. I always took in uh, water and some snacks in case, I, you know, I needed something. I always wore a baseball cap uh, so I could uh, keep the light out of my eyes. I also wore button up shirts and zip up uh, sweatshirts. I always had sweatshirts with me so that it would be easy to access my infusion port or my arms, if that's where I was getting the infusions. So uh, I also learned the hard way not to plan to do anything else during the treatments, except rest and handle the treatments. You know, maybe some TV, if they have one in the room, uh, can't really read during them. For sure, I can't work, though the first time I thought I was gonna work. Right. And uh, it's, a, it's a great time to kind of be focused on yourself I always try to develop a relationship with the uh, care team that was uh, in the infusion center that was handling me that day. My treatments, uh, in many cases, would take a long time. So I was uh, set up for a, a lengthy day. And I think the best thing that I learned, too, was to expect the unexpected. And if I was planning to be in and out in, in, in four hours, you know, who knows? It might be it might be four, it might be six, it might be eight. So to be really flexible and plan nothing else that day. And to always have somebody with me, a buddy, in my case, that was my wife, to try to manage things if the care team uh, happened to not be available. How did your wife respond to the first diagnosis? Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, the thyroid cancer, she, we were all pretty cool about it because we thought, hey, it's thyroid cancer. We'll just take it out, uh, do the radiation, uh, and I would be uh, cured. Uh, the lymphoma has been the bigger challenge because my particular version, Francis, is, isn't curable. So it, it, it keeps coming back. I, I think there's a real cumulative impact on my wife and my kids, you know, from having to deal with this. My, my kids only know me as a cancer patient. They don't remember that. So they've kind of grown up with it. But uh, I think emotionally, uh, it's been really challenging on her because she's got to be the tough one. She can't get sick. She's got to take care of me. And, uh, you know, the best thing that she's done to take care of her own emotional and mental health is to have other activities. She worked until just recently. And she also has her group of friends, has her tennis. She exercises. All those things, I think, have really helped her dramatically in, in dealing with it. But I, I can't even imagine. I think sometimes it's harder to be the caregiver than it is the patient. Right, right, right. How do you advocate your journey with other people? Because I know you share your story with other people and you have to be the beacon of light. You can mm. never look down, no matter how you feel. Because I look at you as the beacon of light from the first conversation. Oh, thank you. It's 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 hard, you know. I look, I am super grateful and, and I and I know how fortunate I am to be able to have the opportunity to speak with people about my journey and, and that's really become my purpose, right? Is to try to help others uh, through learn from my mistakes 
and also help others really through this book, which really is kind of the what to expect when you're expecting. Uh, but for cancer, it's the book I wish uh, somebody else had written, you know, for me when I started my journey. And I think that purpose in my life really helps me kind of go through it. But sometimes it's really hard. I mean, sometimes I don't really want to talk about it. This is not a topic that I particularly like to talk about, but it's ironic because now I wrote a book about it and, and I'm trying to get the hands the book into as many hands as possible. But would you like to tell them about your book? Yeah, yeah. It's it it was it was created kind of yeah, up for the fight, how to advocate for yourself as you battle cancer from a five time survivor. And the genesis of this book was an emotional breakdown I had September 17th, uh, 2020, when I had was in the recovery room at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, after major surgery to move it, remove a tumor that was below my hip. And so I woke up from that surgery having uh, an emotional breakdown. I mean, it was full-fledged sobbing and tears and crying. And the nurse, whose name was Jen, she came over and she's like, what's up? And I said, I'm not sure I'm up for the fight. You know, this is the sixth time I've been diagnosed with cancer, the fourth time with lymphoma. I know what's coming and I'm not sure I'm up for it. I want to fight. And so she grabbed the pastor and we really worked through the reasons why that I needed to continue the fight, which was my friends, my family first and uh, my work. And then really first is to make God proud. And so it took about an hour, but I kind of reconnected with my wise. And at the end of that hour, the pastor says, uh, hey, Bill, you ought to turn your pain into purpose. Why don't you write a book that can help others? I thought about it. I'm like, okay. Well, once you commit, particularly to a pastor, <laughs> you're committed. And so I had to find a publisher. And I was lucky enough to find a publisher that would get behind it, uh, not just because they believed in the message of the book, but they got behind it because they believed in the power of the book to change lives. And they committed a lot of resources to help me write it. I don't call it my book. I call it our book. And the publisher is page two out of Vancouver, Canada. And they were so sweet because I wrote it while I was going through chemotherapy and I was taking a beating. And there's where days and weeks, I, I couldn't write. And so they were really flexible. And so we actually developed two timetables for completing the book. One was if I wasn't going to make it, which is what I wrote to that schedule. And then uh, the other was if I made it. So I, I got I, I got it written really early. So we had plenty of time to edit it. But it was a real sense of accomplishment for me to get it written. And now my purpose is to get people to read it. Because with 100% certainty, every cancer patient or the family in front of a cancer patient that read it will get something out of it and it will improve their journey. It's funny how you go through things and, and it becomes not something you want to talk about, but it becomes a purpose in your life, a journey that you never expected, but it become you become so passionate about it that you want to share it with the world because I never wanted to talk either but yeah. it became 
it it's just like you're going through it. So if you could help somebody else, you're going to do it. And it is painful to talk about because I find it painful too. Yeah, yeah. You know, as it, I always hear, I just had a conversation and with you before where they say you're cured and you're not. So no. please explain to the audience that we don't get cured. We go into remission and they should see from your five-time journey that you were not cured. You just went into remission. You yeah, just- you know, can yeah, you know, cancer is, uh, you know, a technical term is no evidence of disease, right? So they can't find it, NED. But, uh, you know, cancer can be kind of tricky. It smartens up. And in my case, you know, the lymphoma could have been a result of my thyroid treatment. So you get second or third cancers that come from your initial treatment. So you have to always be on guard because you never know. And even if they say no evidence of the disease, you're looking pretty good as a patient. You never stop thinking about it. You know, you may not think about it all the time, but for me, it's every day I think about it because every day I take a pill to replace the uh, the, the hormones from my missing thyroid. So I, I am reminded every morning uh, of, of the battle, but it is it is something that you carry with you uh, for the rest of your life. Even once you have are in remission or no evidence of disease. So every ache or pain or lump, uh, you know, you start thinking, hmm, hmm, you know, which is an interesting way to live, yeah. but you can't, but you kind of have to be yeah, that aware. Because I, I, I find myself always thinking about that, you know, because I see people mm-hmm. and they be like, I'm cancer free. And I'm trying to figure out what doctor did they go to that told them that they were free? They didn't explain that it's just a remission. They should learn from Olivia Newton-John. She had it. It was she was in remission and it just came back so that's why i said i wanted you to explain it because a lot of people when i tell them they don't understand that we are not free we are just in remission and we just pray we stay that way mm. now let me ask you i know i went through my journey but i'm sure and i'm going to ask you what part of god what did god play into this whole big story what what part what did you what did you think when you found out what did you get angry with god no i really never got angry you know it's like uh you know you got to play the cards you're dealt and uh so he provided me great direction on how to do things so if you trust him and uh you pray and listen to him then you know the decisions that you make are going to be the right ones but you know he directed me from a local oncologist to in houston to md anderson and then with the covid pandemic to mayo and i'm telling you outside of my initial thyroid uh, cancer treatment uh, which was not md anderson or mayo i I, i've had world-class care and a world-class team behind me I do also think that the faith has really helped me in the sense to get my, it took me a while, but to get my head and my heart around the potential of dying. And I think, you know, not being afraid to die, which doesn't mean I want to die, but through my faith, not being afraid of it really has uh, helped me out in so many ways. And I think the book, uh, you know, the, the ability for the pastor to suggest uh, for me to write a book and that become my purpose when that's basically all I could do was go through treatment and, and try to write, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't exercise. I could barely walk was, 
was really uh, spectacular. So it's been, it's been a journey, not just my journey. It's, it's our journey. Yeah. Did you change your diet and exercise during the, well, first you had the thyroid one. I'm sure you were able still to exercise that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I had to take I had to take a few months off because I got beat up from the radiation a little bit. But uh, I've always been pretty active and lived oh. a pretty, pretty healthy, active lifestyle. But after the lymphoma piece, I dialed it up again. I really uh, three years after I, I was diagnosed with my first you know, lymphoma at stage three, I did I did Ironman Texas, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and then a marathon to prove to my family that if you set your mind to it and set goals and work hard, that anything is possible. And, and that, that healthy, active lifestyle has continued. I can't do those types of distances anymore. I have a hard time on the cycling because of the uh, prostate, but I, I have kept active and, and my diet continues to get better and better and better. I'm making improvements on it all the time. I would say now my diet on a scale of one to 10, 10 being perfect is probably an eight and a half or nine you know, uh, not too much red meat, not too much dairy, uh, a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables, you know, lean white meat, it could be better, but it's pretty good. Uh, and, and that, that has all made a big difference. And I think in particular, the, the exercise, you know, throughout the journey, according to the doctors has made a difference. Um, my resting heart rate is pretty low. I, I'm actually always training when I can to be able to be ready physically for when it comes back because I know I'm going to take a pretty big beating. So I want to be as ready for it as I can. And I'm doing that. I'm continuing to do that day, day after day. I continue to, to stay in shape because uh, it's my stress relief, but also it's because what I need to do to be ready. Okay. And I know you said you had thyroid cancer 20 years ago, but your children, they had to go through the rest of the cancer as they were growing up. Mm. How did they deal with it? I know uh, your wife, she had to be your, strength and your tower but were your kids your strength and your tower as well yeah it kind of evolved i mean when they were little elementary school middle school even up through high school it wasn't really until late in high school or early college for them that i was full disclosure about what was happening you know i always would kind of give them the cliff notes version the top line version but i didn't want to worry them so I really did give them the uncut version of what was happening. It really wasn't until the last couple cancers that they finally got it. And I think it, it, they really got it, this last lymphoma, because, I mean, it, it, it was ugly. And um, I think as they matured, uh, they had a better ability to process it. And I think what it's done for our family is it's really tightened us up. I mean, we're pretty tight. Uh, two of the three kids, you know, wrote some advice in the book for, for kids with cancer patients, which I found to be super helpful. Um, I have encouraged all of them to get outside support where they can, to also try to live the healthy, active lifestyle to reduce the stress. Um, it's, been, it's been remarkable how over the last, you know, few years, they've kind of circled the wagons around their father and have helped, uh, you know, hold me up in certain situations, which has been really rewarding. That's a good thing that you have a family that supports you. Yeah. And I know it's hard for them to understand when you're little, but 
as they got older, they did understand what was going on. I'm sure they did a lot of research like I did. did yeah, you, you know, they, they did. did. You do a lot I, of research too? <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, I'm really careful about where I do it. And so I don't, I have a, I struggle with just Googling things. And so I, I recommend people that are recently diagnosed is to lean into those organizations that have already vetted the, the information. For example, my lymphoma is a blood cancer. So the Leukemia Lymphoma Society has a great uh, website with a huge amount of resources related to blood cancers. And so those articles and that research, you know, is going to be scientifically vetted. The, the same with prostate cancer, same with all the cancers. They all have their organizations that can kind of uh, 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 give you a great, not only a source of information, but resources for support too. Early in my journey, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was super helpful for me, you know, helping me with travel and, and you know, immediately when I said I was diagnosed with lymphoma, kind of diving in and, and kind of being there if, if I needed to be there. Yeah, so, yeah. They're all bad, but you're always immunocompromised. And I found out yesterday that I was too. I found uh, out if you have cancer, you're always susceptible to the immune, your immune system is always susceptible, even if you finish. Yeah, you know, my, my particular, my, I, I yeah, my yesterday. So that's how I found out. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, it depends. I guess it really depends on your treatments and things like that. But my, 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 my cancer is the immune system and my uh, treatment wiped out my, you know, my lymphocytes. And so they're kind of slowly rebuilding. I, I would be on the scale of severely immunocompromised. Uh, so I've had to be super isolated. It's been kind of lonely, but uh, for a couple of years, but uh, my, my dog Pippa, you know, she sure loves time with her, uh, with her dad. Take her outside, right? Do you yeah. Take yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I take her out for walks. I'll take her to the park when it's cool enough. Okay. Okay. So you can go and get some fresh air. So we don't want people to think you're just in a box that you do go out, but you're careful about when you're going outside of what to do. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, depending on what the surge is, I know I can eat outside at a restaurant if I'm not around too many people, can't oh, wow. really go into, can't really go to the bathroom, but uh, Hey, you know uh, it's uh, yeah. And I can, I can go for walks. I can go for runs. I can go for smaller bike rides. So no, I've, I've adapted pretty well living in Florida. Basically I can be outside 365 days a year. I can have friends over. We just sit outside and it's, it's all good. Yeah. So you're not, you're, you're not like the boy in the bubble. You're not in the. Yeah. You, no, th thankfully though, you know, last week, my entire outing was I rode with my daughter to the gas station. I didn't even get out of the car. And she's like, what did you do? That, did you get out this week? I'm like, yeah, outside of my running. I'm like, yeah, I went to with you to the gas station. She's like, Dad, that's not enough. So last night, my wife and I went to the park and sat by the water and watched dolphins. And then we watched a kickball game at the local park. And it actually felt great to get out. I'm sure it did. See, up here, up north, it's hard because it's only the summertime. It's nice. But I go outside all the time. I have to go out. I get cabin fever. Yeah. Really do, yeah. So I go out. Yeah, let me see what else. Wait one minute. I, we, I think we talked about everything. I think we did better this time. <laughs> uh, you know, you're so awesome. And what you're doing, you know, your purpose, Francis, is is great because you have the ability to help change lives through, through your journey, which uh, is pretty powerful. So thank you for doing it. Well, I'm thanking you because, as I stated, my mother, she had lymphoma. Mm. 
and and she would have and she was a nurse and she was like go look up that uh, medicine that mm. they've given me and I found it to be very toxic because you're finding out exactly what this stuff is doing to the body. Mm. Mm. Of course, she had sarcoidosis, which she took steroids. She had no immune system. Mm. So she already knew the outcome. Mm. And she was ready for it. She mm. already knew. You mm. know, and then I told you before my aunt, she had some blood disease. And I I believe she might have had multiple myeloma. Mm. Apparently, this blood disease that she had, it attacked the whole body. Mm. Yeah, but she was smoking. So I was like, you know, I read when I read her autopsy, which I shouldn't have, but I saw that she smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. Mm. And yeah, so I'm saying, and then it said that this cancer went through all the bloodstream. So mm. I'm thinking maybe she had some, she had a rare form of blood cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And when I met you and you said you had lymphoma, it reminded me of my mother mm. because actually she didn't, she wasn't able to explain to me exactly that lymphoma could go anywhere. Yeah. She had it in her throat. Mm. That I, you know, I, like you said, you really do have to be careful about the research you do. Mm. Because you'll get one answer here and one answer there. Mm -hmm. So I looked it up and I saw that it can attack your your body is full of these lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. so it can attack, you know, the cells attached and you'll get something. Well, like mm -hmm. my son said, it was like a cold. That's what the doctor explained. It's like a cold. You can some people can fight it, some people can't. Yeah. So that's why th it was important and I was elated to speak to you mm. because I've never heard of multiple myeloma until I met somebody with it mm. and she would always say you can't come near me mm. you know she would keep her distance she mm -hmm. wouldn't hug or anything mm. because she still takes she actually goes for the infusions Mm. for the bone marrow transplant or the mm. bone yeah and she filmed Hardcore. It. yeah she filmed it I was like wow mm. and she filmed it and then I see she takes what I take Zomeda mm. and I was like why are you taking it and then I found out it's for the bones mm. so you don't take Zomeda do you no mm -hmm. anything for your bones mm -hmm. you just take a pill yeah, I just take a pill. It's all I take a day is one uh, thyroid pill. So uh, mm -hmm. knock on wood. That's all I need. I, I, you know, I've tried to obviously going through treatment, you're taking a lot of anti-nausea meds and pain meds and things like that. But uh, now that I'm done, I try to uh, try to only take that one pill a day. So, so far, it's not every day. Some days, you know, I'll need an Advil or Tylenol, but uh, not too often. Well, so you just take your one pill and that's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I mean, when I first found out, I was scared. And then the mm. doctor was like, Francis, this is not, your mother was 20 years ago. Things mm. are different now. Mm. Even though it was breast cancer, you know, I was spooked out because I saw what she went through with that chemo. And you went through chemo as well, correct? Yeah, I did. And and I, what I, what I, what I, what I tell people is the longer I live, the longer I will live, 
because you're right and the doctor's right the advances are so dramatic and happening so quickly i mean i got immunotherapy in 2008 as a clinical trial back when nobody ever heard the word immunotherapy they were inventing it and uh so it didn't become public really until 2009 so you know part of what i'm doing is i'm buying time for the treatments to catch up with uh with my cancer because the cancer gets so smart that it continues to adapt to the treatments I'm getting. So, you know, each treatment gets progressively harder, but I do think there is a case where I can be hopefully in permanent remission where, where I have to worry it's less important. about it coming back. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm praying for you for permanent. Yeah, thank you. So you yeah. can tell the world and travel the world and tell yeah. them about your journey. Uh, uh, thank yeah. you. That's what, that, that's what I'm praying for. Because Thank you. as I said, you've been a big encouragement to me, mm. especially when I went to the doctor yesterday and I had to get checked. And I was like, oh, no, but the doctor mm. said, you're fine. Because mm. I told her, I'm always doing my own self-examination. She was like, it's not every day, Francis. It's once a, <laughs> once a month. Yes, but I'm I appreciate Glad you're okay. And I will be advocating for this book. I will put Thank you in the end so people will know who you are and how can they reach you. They can reach you at Bill C. Potts, I know. That's right, BillCPotts.com uh, or Bill at BillCPotts.com and send me a note. Tell me what uh, Tell me what, uh, what you think. Okay, yeah, we want to know. This is Bill, my friend, my new friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're my friend too. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so we will be keeping in touch and I'll be praying for you. Every yeah, back day. at you. Back at you. Yeah. One day I'll get your wife on here. We can hear her story. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Has she been on the podcast? Has she told her? No, her? no, she hasn't. She wrote the piece of the uh, piece of the book, but no, outside of that. I asked her. Tell her she asked the kids. They have to get on here all together. Let all us right. Know. We yeah. can get, I, we can, we can. I would like can... to hear them and see how they handle this journey. Okay. We can make that happen. Okay, so I am going to post this up today, put the All book right, information you. in there so people could start reading Up for the Fight by Bill C. Potts. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, Bill. Thanks okay, for you having bet. me as uh, your host, and thanks for being my guest. Oh, thank you. All righty, have a good day. I'll see okay. you. Okay. All right. All right, see you. Bye. If you have enjoyed any of the episodes of The Unexpected Detour, please feel free to share with your friends and family. We're available across many platforms where you can hear your podcasts. Please share and follow us on all listening platforms.